It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. You're listening to the Game Football Podcast from The Times, where the Italian fortress is enough to withstand a Spanish onslaught. But who will meet them in the final? Is it to be a date with destiny for England or Denmark? This is the game Euro 2020. To help me look back on a stunning evening and ahead to hopefully another special one. Matt Lawton, Henry Winter and Gregor Robertson. How are you all? Very good. good thanks. Let's begin. I wonder if this one takes the record. I was a previously admonished, told off by Matt Dickinson for, for claiming another match was the game of the tournament. Well, maybe this first semi-final has taken the award because, I mean, it was sensational from start to finish, exhilarating, and in the end, all the way to penalties. It is the Italians who come through and make it to the final at Euro 2020, coming past a totally dejected Spain. But I've got to be honest, they were maybe the better team on the evening. I mean, it was a Spain we hadn't even seen yet so far. A magical game at Wembley. Gregor, the quality of this match was incredible. Oh, it was outstanding. It was, I felt like it was a bit of a throwback. It kind of, referees seemed to let lots, lots of things slide. Italy were kind of reverting to the gnarly old Azuri that we've sort of come to know them from. But that was just because Spain were so, so good. Spain were, Spain were outstanding. You know, it was absorbent. They, they were, Dominated so much in the opening in the opening half an hour or so, particularly midfield. Busquets and Pedri were just incredible, and there was that statistic during the rounds that Pedri completed all of his passes in ninety minutes. He had a hundred percent completion rate, <laughs> so um, that says how 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 he played. I've said all along they've just lacked that final kind of killer touch. I think, and we saw it again. They created chances. Some really good chances, in fact, and they just couldn't. They just couldn't put it away. And then Morata came on, and obviously looked like he was going to be the hero, and he turned out to be the villain. So, just an epic night of football, epic drama, and you know, there's something, something about this Italy team, though. They have, you know, a real unity and togetherness, and a kind of flexibility too. We've seen them play really dynamic front foot football when they've had to. They've they've sat they've sat back and and uh, absorbed pressure. And they've just done what they had to do to get over the line. And look, the fine margins, penalty kicks are always cruel, but great drama. Henry, how did you enjoy this game? How did you find it? I mean, I just thought the uh, the second half, I think most people expected Italy to go through because they've been the team of the tournament. And you knew if it went to penalties uh, with Jorginho, with Donnarumma, that, uh, that they would stand a chance. But I have to say the quality of the football, the intensity of it, given what uh, the world, uh, what Europe, what the clubs, what the players have been through this season with minimal pre-season, the intensity of the football. I was expecting far more players to uh, to seize up in, in extra time with a little bit of cramp. Again, huge credit. To, no, I was surprised on television just watching it now that uh, no one made a point about the pitch because this is the pitch that's going to have to undergo another game tomorrow night and obviously one on Sunday. And it's just a look 
Greg as the, the, the expert having sort of played at a, at a proper level. But just I just thought it was terrific. And the players, their intensity, everything about them, Chiellini just, you know, blocking everything, the Italians marching on, whatever it is, 33 games. Whoever gets through to, tonight, England, Denmark, they know they're in for a fight. And it's a, this is not a fantastically technical Italian team, but, you know, you just, they're full of gladiators. Matt, I thought the, the opening exchanges, I thought there's only going to be one winner here. Spain were all over Italy in the first half. The quality of the passing, I mean, it wasn't quite Spain at their World Cup winning best, but it wasn't that far off. Luis Enrique seemed to find another gear with this side. And yet they just couldn't break the Italians down. And then they once they went in front, you almost thought they're not going to find a goal back. I mean, it was one of those performances with Italy so far in this competition that you think one goal is enough for them to win every game. Yeah, I was watching that game and I was trying to make up my mind which team I thought would be the better team to face in the final. And 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 I kept changing my mind because I, I've, I've thought from the start that Italy have looked the most dangerous team in the tournament. Um, but then I was watching that um, Spain performance tonight and thinking, and f- funny enough, Rio Ferdinand referred to it on the telly. He talked about that Champions League final against against um, uh, Barcelona, that Man United final. And I, I, I was watching it and watching the way that uh, Spain were, were controlling the game. And I think they had certainly the first half 60-odd percent possession. And I was just thinking, crikey, could this be a final, a bit like that Champions League final where actually the English team can't get near the ball? And yet Italy are suddenly 1-0 up. And, and then I was thinking, it, this is rather like the Inter Milan team that Mourinho won the Champions League with, with you know, with sort of 30% possession. It's, it's just that the way the game can be quite cruel and you think, well, that, that, that there, there's... There's one team that's absolutely dominating, but they're losing. And, and, and that is the way it works sometimes. As I say, Mourinho mastered that with Inter Milan. I think, put it this way, whichever team, I agree with Henry, whichever team gets through, they're not the favourites. We, 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 we saw, for me, the two best teams in the tournament tonight. And, and I think Italy will be the favourites, uh, even if England are playing at home. On, 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 on Sunday. I just think they're, they're, they're a superb team. They're so well balanced. You know, their, their, their goal was just magnificent tonight and, and, you know, so deadly that counter attack. Um, I think they're going to be such a hard team to beat. I personally think it's a bit generous to say that Spain were one of the two best teams in the, in the competition because Spain haven't played anything like as good as that tonight in any other, other games. They won one game over 90 minutes and, Look, they were outstanding tonight, but I think the two five, the two games where they scored five goals were kind of illusory. They, that was not the real Spain. This Spain have trouble scoring goals. I think we saw it again tonight. Um, so, it, look, it, I think Spain took everyone from, by surprise here. Really, this was like the Spain of old. They, they, the extent to which they dominated possession, and it, I don't think you can underestimate how tiring that is as well. Watching that game, I was thinking, if you're if you're a player in Italy's midfield, particularly chasing them around for basically 90, you know, <laughs> almost 120. That is, that was a hell of a shift. So I think, you know, you've got to give the Italians even more credit for that. They, they were, they were incredible Spain. I just think that, that I said it time and again on this podcast over the last couple, few weeks, they just don't have that last, they don't, have, they don't even have, it's not just a, we've talked about a striker, the Murata and Moreno. There's no really anyone. Ferran Torres has, has looked like he's going to score goals for Manchester City, but, they don't really have anyone to put the ball in the back of the net and now you're always going to have trouble then. 
It was an indication, Henry, tonight, wasn't it, by the fact that Danny Olmo was deployed as a false nine and Alvaro Morata and Gerard Moreno both left on the bench. I think oh yeah, Tharbal got a couple of good chances in the game, but despite all of that possession, I think Gregor's right. They never really were able to break Italy down apart from the moment they scored their goal. I really like Omar. I think he's had a terrific tournament. Um, and, and I, you know, devastated for him missing that, uh, that penalty. But um, yeah, and I agree with the guys. So they, 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 they need a finisher. But, you know, I think people have been slightly condescending towards Italy. I just think that you always look and you, you can go back to, uh, to 2006 and you, you, you look for teams with a mission, teams with a cause. Denmark have to be feared tonight because they've got a cause because of what happened to Christian Eriksen. England, have they got a cause? I think there is a, a unity and a humility. I think they've got a cause. But you, whenever you look at Italy, there's just something about them. There's no star in that team. I mean, the stars are on the bench. You look at Mancini and Viali. But that team is just, there's something about it. There's something visceral. There's, it's emotional. It's You look at Cialini and he's just, I mean, you know, he's the only person I've seen try deliberately try to pick a fight with Stuart Pearce on the touchline in an under-21 game when he was playing. And he sort of disappeared into the dugout when Stuart Pearce was holding onto the ball or trying to sort of delay a, a throw in. And we, we were just sort of, we were in the press box then about sort of 10 yards away and we were saying who is this Italian kid who has got temerity to take on Stuart Pearce he's going to get absolutely whacked and then you look at Cialini now well throughout his career and you just think these guys are tough they you know they'll do anything they will waste time they'll run down the clock they'll stay down we saw Insignia and all that you know also Immobile you know they are there's something they're winners and they will grind their they, they will grind their their results. And if England get through against Denmark tonight, it is going to be a brutal game because what the Italians have got, they're masters at it. And England have got youth, they've got pace, they've got technique, they've have a certain amount of camaraderie, but they're up against just ugly winners here. Also, a quick word for Chiellini, uh, kind of both managing to try and have a crack a joke with Jordi Alba, punch him in the face and give him a bear hug yeah. all while choosing ends for the penalty <laughs> kicks. He's, he is some, some animal, isn't he? I love watching him play. Brilliant. We're going to come to some of the, the great points about the Italian performance in a moment, but I just, I just want to tick off some of the, the good parts of the game for Spain, in particular Pedri, 18 years old, Matt, 100% pass completion in the, the 90 minutes before extra time. Um, They've unearthed Another, I think, huge talent on the world stage. Yeah, he looks pretty special. There was another amazing stat tonight, wasn't there? That he um, hasn't he covered more yards than any other player in the tournament. Like it's just his energy and and his um, you know the way that he seeks out the ball the whole time. Now he's 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 really special player. Um, and and that's why partly why I do think Spain did have enough tonight. You know, France won the World Cup without an out and out striker. But sorry, Hugh. Back to your question. Uh, yeah, he's a, he, he's 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 a super player, isn't he? Beautiful player, and and another another one off that production line that just looks like he's going to be one of the sort of great players of in Europe for the next sort of decade. He's 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 special, no doubt about it. Just to box off Murata with you, Gregor, as well. He's your boy. That's what I called him. I, I, I've got to be honest. For the penalty, look, anything can happen in a shootout. 
But I was very surprised to see him stepping up to take a penalty, having missed one earlier in the tournament. And also, you've got to you've got to say it. So many people have spoken about a mental fragility with him as a player. Would you have had him take a penalty? I mean, that's a decision that's kind of down to the manager and the players and how he does it in training and stuff. Your instinct is no, but the, the thing that the thing that leapt to mind was. I remember in the TV studios after um, his earlier miss, Gary Neville saying he looked apologetic as he was hitting the ball. You know, it was almost like, I'm sorry for having to do this. And it was, there was so little intent, conviction in his penalty kick. It was really quite tough to watch. And the thing is, when he came on, he did the, there were there were moments where, he, you know, there was one where he ran the ball out of play. There was another where he had the chance to get a shot off and he took another touch and another touch. And, and his goal was just instinct. And Chiellini, for all we've been praising him, was kind of done by him by a one-two pretty simple one-two so I think when he's playing on that instinct you know it's like his goal against Croatia the ball came across he only had time to take a touch and volley in that's when that's when you'll see the best of Morata it seems to me when he's got to when he's got too much time with his thoughts um, that's when you see the, the fragility that everyone's talking about and yeah it was really it was pretty painful to watch that I feel sorry for him it was it's it's been such a kind of roller coaster tournament for him. Sad the way it ends on penalties and sad to see Spain go because eventually they showed us what the talent in that squad was capable of. It just came a little bit too late. And of course, against an Italian side that is now 33 matches unbeaten. Roberto Mancini has a Roman army that Caesar, I think, would be proud of. They would do anything for him at this point in time. And I don't really see how they're stopped from here. Um, Matt, what do you think? Who, who and how... Can you stop Italy? The only oh, crikey. Um, well, let, if we assume for a moment that England, England beat Denmark, Ooh. I think no, no, no. <laughs> but because you know, let's be honest. It's, 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 you know, if we if we have to, you know, let's f- play the fill game. The air, let's play the fill game. the airtime of this podcast uh, <laughs> talking about Denmark, Italy. Then so be it in a couple of days' time. But no, uh, let, let, let's look at England and whether you know whether they can do it. I think it's going to be. I, th- I think the b- the biggest thing is pace. I, I think you know that is a that they are superb. That 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 uh, that Italian bat line. They seem to have so much time on the ball. They're so cool under pressure. But you've just got to hope that people like Raheem Sterling um, and and Saka, if if he's back in the team, and I, we th- we think he probably is uh, tomorrow night. Although it's been a yeah, touching on the subject we discussed last time about trying to know what the team is it's it's been quite difficult to establish what the team is but we think sack is back i think it's that pace it's it's running at them with pace but um it's going to be it's going to be tough they are they are a very very shrewd defensive team and it will be if england do get past denmark it will be a test like no other they've faced so far in this tournament gregor imagine it's denmark for a moment if you want to play the game the other way can they beat Italy? Oh, do I have to play the Denmark game, do I? Um... <laughs> <laughs> you know you want to. You can go on England if you want to. You can go on England if you want well, I'll to. I'll go on England first. I think I think England... Uh, I was watching this game, going, going back quickly to who, you know, watching this game thinking who would you rather England played uh, if, if you wanted an England victory, of course. I agree with what Matt was saying. I think Spain, if they played to that level, there's not really anyone who can match them in terms of the dominance. Uh, yes, they might... They might have struggled in front of goal, but dominating to that extent, England couldn't get close to them. So it would be how how much they could, you know, show the defensive resolve. I think England can 
can match Italy because Italy play in kind of really positive phases. They they're they're dynamic and they're very fast on the break at times and they can sit in at times and soak up pressure. Another thing, Emerson, I thought he was pretty good in the first half at left back, but it seems that they kind of took him off. I'm not sure whether they had an injury or not, but I think I think he's somebody who could probably be got at with, with the, the standard of, of wide player that England have. Uh, and I said before, although De Lorenzo had a really strong game tonight, I think with the pace again that England have. So, you know, I would say down the flanks, that would be another game maybe for, for a Jaden Sancho. Um, but Italy's midfield is is going to be hard to match as well. I think I, I think I agree with Matt. I think it would be pace down the flanks and and uh, and hoping Harry Kane can 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 find a few yards between Chiellini and Bonucci. That's the issue, isn't it, Henry? It's just creating those clear goal scoring opportunities against the side with Chiellini and Bonucci at the heart of defence that have conceded two goals in two years. I mean, it's an incredibly strong structure that they have Italy in terms of their organisation. I mean, everyone's raved about Cellini tonight and, and <laughs> you know, he, what a character he is. He is the sort of the heartbeat, the personality, the, the snarling, the, you know, the, the elements of gamesmanship and the winning mentality of that team. But you look at Benucci tonight, six interceptions, four clearances, three duels, one, two shots blocked, one clearance off the line and a partridge in the pear tree. I mean, he's just, he's, he gave everything tonight. I mean, just what a player. And he does that game in, game out. And, you know, England, Harry Kane is a fabulous uh, forward. And we spoke to him t- this, well, yesterday afternoon on on a Zoom before he left St. George's Park to head south. And he was very confident. And as you'll see from the, the back pages today, he's saying that he can live with with. Denmark and, and then whoever whoever comes in his way, which is clearly now Italy. But, you know, he's, he's got to get past Denmark tonight. And you look at their players, you look at Simon Kier, the way he's been playing. Christensen, I know he stepped into midfield so effectively against Wales, you know, and you look at, as it Vestergaard probably as well. You know, they're, they're some... There's some good defenders. You know, this is the hard end of the tournament. And England are up against not simply 11 men, but uh, but nations, but waves of emotion, particularly because of the, uh, you know, the, the Ericsson issue before England even sort of get on. I mean, my, my long painful experience with England is the old cliche of take each game as it comes. I cannot believe any of the England players will be watching that game tonight and thinking about, oh, we fancy Italy. Uh, honestly, I would much, you know, if we are if we are going to play that game, which we can do as a media, I'd far rather England played Spain. I look, everyone sort of raved about Spain, and you know they said, well, they haven't got a centre four, but look at all these beautiful players they've got, almost good as well. But for me, they're still a bit flaky. Uh, honestly, England would if England got through against Denmark, and it's probably fifty fifty. Much rather play against Spain in the final than Italy. Italy are a hard, hard team. I remember talking to one of the the youth coaches at uh, West Ham. He'd just come back from Juventus. This was about eight, ten years ago. And he said that he was watching one of their youth teams. He said the nines and the tens, they were working on blocking, the defenders were working on blocking centre forwards at crosses, at corners, at set pieces. These are the masters of defence. These are the Praetorian Guard that England, if they get past Denmark, will be coming up against. This is, honestly, Italy Italy are brutal. I think that was the one team that England did not want to meet. But first and foremost, Denmark tonight. One thing I would add about 
beating it, how, how to beat Italy is that the Spain they had certain, they had a lot of joy, particularly in the first half, with almost sitting sitting a little bit off, and with those players between the lines like Pedri or Koke, just you know breaking the lines and having someone who can play those forward passes. So you know that area in front of Kier, of Kiluni and Bonucci, Jorginho was pretty was pretty redundant in the first half, particularly he didn't it, he was getting played around and he wasn't getting on the ball. So you know that there is that was the first kind of ch- slight sign of a weakness there in front of in front of the back four of Italy, and you know England have players with the quality and you, who can play playing between the lines. It's whether they're going to be put on the pitch or not. That's the question. But Greg, well, you know what it reminds me of. I've seen sorry uh, Hugh to interrupt you, but you know what it it reminds me of, and I've seen this too often with England. It reminds me of England in 2014 trying to get past. Uruguay's great defence. It reminds me even of 2016, that experienced, rugged defence of Iceland. So, look, I, look, England have got fantastic players, and that's right. I mean, Saka comes in for Sancho, Kane, Sterling with mounts off them. You know, England have got fluidity. They've, as you say, they've got pace out wide. They can get at them. But that is a that is a serious Italian defence that England come, may come up against if Huge caveat, they get past Denmark tonight. I mean, I'm trying my absolute hardest to keep us off England as much. I mean, even the Italy-Spain <laughs> game is all about England. I can only apologise. And the Denmark fans as well listening, I, I will try my best to get on to you in a moment as well. But it's interesting what you say about, Gregor, what you say about the fact that England have that quality. Because I don't, I don't see that they've got the quality in terms of a Sergio Busquets. You know, a, a deep line, you know, as, as great as Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips has played. You know, you're talking about those passes through the quality of the possession. You know, there's a cocaine there. There's a Busquets in there. There's a Pedri in there we've spoken about already. And although we've got these great sort of number 10 attacking midfielders and wingers, you know, in that engine room, we have players with, I think, different attributes. You know, the quality of the, you know, Thiago Alcantara is coming off the bench in extra time. They didn't even need him in the 90 minutes. You know, I think that Rodri came off the bench, Manchester City midfielder, you know, for Spain. You know, that for me is an area where they've got real, real quality. It's not that we're a million miles off, but I think that was a key aspect tonight. But anyway, it's Italy that go marching on into a final. We'll see exactly who they take on. We've pretty much done it already, but we will discuss England against Denmark, the next semi-final at Euro 2020 next. Remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, from a selfish perspective, I hope Wednesday night at Wembley is less tight and less tense as England and Denmark look to join Italy in the final of Euro 2020. Um, Matt, I wanted to talk about the occasion, really. How big a day do you think this is for England, for the three Lions post-1966? I'm not saying I'm not saying you were alive in 1966, but, but how big a day do you think it is? No, I definitely wasn't. I, I wasn't far off, but I wasn't. Um, <laughs> Yeah, look, it, it's it's huge, in, you know, and I think it's huge for us. You know, I 
96, I was actually at the uh, I was at the other semi final. Matt Dickinson and myself were were covering the other game, the the uh, France Czech Republic game. Um, so watched it, you know, watched it most of it in a mix zone in uh, at Old Trafford. Um, no, it, it, it's it, it's massive, and and I thought uh, it was actually a question that Matt Dickinson asked um, Gareth today, which was about it's an opportunity to start making history at the new Wembley, you know, because all the, all, all the moments that we talk about, all the history that we talk about is all the, you know, the twin towers history. Um, so no, it's, 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 it's huge. You've only got to look at the television viewing figures. It's, it's, you know, in excess of 20 million people for each of these games. And I imagine it will set new records um, for this game against Denmark. It, it, it's, it's. I've said it, said it before on this podcast. There's nothing like the England national team, and you know, from a journalistic perspective, there's nothing like covering the England national team. You know, Henry, Henry will scoff at the suggestion from me that the Olympics is a bigger event because it's 206 countries and and it's thousands and thousands of athletes. But there's nothing like the England team in terms of what the, the, the sort of effect it has, the, the excitement it generates um, when they're playing in a major tournament. And, and, and tonight is, is because there's this sense of expectation, because there's this belief that, you know, in, a, in our lifetimes, we might actually see an England team get to another final and perhaps even win it. Although I think we've already said how, how damn difficult that looks. Um, it, it It's just that it's, it's, that sense of expectation, that sense of excitement. And there's going to be 60 odd thousand people, which again is going to feel very special because of what's what we've all been through in the last 18 months. Henry, there have been World Cup semi-finals since 1966, of course. And it's not a unique situation. It mimics 1996, the, the semi-final at Wembley with a chance of a final at Wembley. Where do you think this ranks in terms of its meaning for English football? You can't rank it. I mean, without getting all spinal tapish, it's it's off the scale. This is this is this is you know. I mean, it's just it, it's just it's almost too much to talk about. I mean, I was trying to work out on the flight back from Rome how many England games I've seen, and I'm not a big one for stats, but I've seen a third of the games that England have played in the history dating back to 1872, and I cannot remember a moment like this. You know, I mean, I started off under Taylor and Venables. There was excitement. Hoddle, there was great excitement in terms of tactically, but poor man management. And then you drifted into the sort of the carnage of the uh, of, of the Keegan years, the naivety. And then it sort of went into to Sven, who seemed to be in awe of certain players. And then it went into the sort of the, 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 the just the naivety of McLaren. And then it sort of, you know, went on. Well, I can't remember what's after that. It was just all, you know, dark Hello. days. Fabio Capello, absolute Capello, mm. you know, who, you know, went through a whole tournament with uh, with Joe Hart, who just had a great to- uh, season with Birmingham City. And he called him John Hart throughout the whole of training. Tra- <laughs> training was absolute carnage in, in South Africa. I mean, it was just, it was pathetic. And then it sort of, you know, it, it, it drifted on and Roy Hodgson took over. And Roy's just a, a wonderful man. Uh, but really just that ruthlessness, that understanding necessarily, but also, you know, and then we went, I mean, Nice, I mean, Matt was there in Nice and Nice was absolutely horrific. The, you know, the spinelessness of, uh, of a lot of that performance, the England fans walking out of there in absolute contempt of the players who were wearing the shirt in 2016, you're not fit to wear the shirt. And then we had Sam Allardyce 
another, I mean, I was on holiday at the time and he got appointed. I just thought, I'm, I just, I think I was in Thailand somewhere. I just went down to the, to a local bar and I thought these years of her are never going to end. And then it, and then Gareth came in and a lot of people questioned him, but actually what they didn't realize was actually he was going to be the calmest person around because of the carnage that he had been through at 96, missing that penalty. He knew that nothing that we in the media, the fans could throw at him, could ever compare to the 4,000 abusive letters he got after that. And he's been fortunate that the academy system, part, partly which he helped create partly by going around the counties and the leagues. I can remember talking to him and I'll say, where are you? And he said, well, I'm off to another county meeting to try and persuade, you know, Mrs. Miggins's uh, older brother to, to, to actually encourage young players, uh, you know, not to kick the ball long, not to have this sort of, you know, everyone got a medal just because you won or because you came second or third to have a sort to, to develop technical players. So Southgate has been so huge in terms of the development as well as what he's done as a, as a, as a senior manager. He's, you could see it the way he spoke to Jack Grealish the other night. You could see it with all the players that he's spoken to. I've never known an England squad that has leaked less in terms of uh, disaffected players, agents wanting to uh, provide their own agenda or talk about their players. It's a very unified squad. There's no club versus country. There are no club cliques. And Southgate has managed that. And that is why I think, I mean, this is the 12th tournament I've covered with England. And I came back with one of the uh, the kids from The Athletic from Rome. And I said, how many, you know, just being polite, you know, uh, not seeing you around. And he said it was his first tournament. And I, I basically said, how lucky are you? Because the rest of us have been through metatarsal, through wags, through missed penalties, through <laughs> players getting sent off, through absolute horror storms. Of, uh, of management and decisions and all these years have hurt. And this team's going to win something, whether it's getting through tonight against Denmark and then playing a fantastic Italy team as opposed to stars in the final, whether it's in Qatar next year when this young player, when Bellingham will come on even further, when Sancho and Saka and all these fantastic players will be beginning to find even more their stride, when Mason Green, who, who will be England's centre forward in the future, will come back into the fold. So Southgate, it's England are in an unbelievable place. And I say that from someone who was just trapped around the world to Bloemfontein, to Gelsenkirchen, to Wembley in the rain, Wallis in the brolly, just seeing all this stuff, all this absolute misery. And I'm thinking now, seriously, stepping back from the whole thing, England have a chance. I hope that's your preview, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, Henry, after all of that, I mean, honestly, I said the other day, if England get knocked out now, I mean, I'm, I'm, it, it's time for grown man tears. I hate to say it. You know, it is now uh, it, the, the boy inside of me that was crying in 96 can feel the tears just behind the eyes. Again, I can't fathom. I can't contemplate the idea that England will now not win this trophy. I'm fully invested in everything you've just said there. It takes me even deeper in. I mean... Henry, uh, Gregor, forgive me, I'm not going to come to you right now because this is still a bit of an England love and I'm going to go back to Matt. How big would it be for the country and the young people now, the mini Hughes, if you like, if England do win this? Yeah, it's, it's well, crikey. It's funny, I, I've, while Henry was... Henry was making us all feel emotional, with the exception of Gregory, probably, who was probably just feeling quite queasy. Um, um, but no, I, I just Googled the, the record TV audiences 
And and it's amazing that the the number one remains the sixty six World Cup final, which was thirty two million, and then you drop down to twenty eight million for the nineteen seventy FA Cup final replay. And actually, none of these modern football matches that we talk about, Euro '96, whatever, have, have broken into the top ten. Nine and ten, and Henry will hate this. Are the uh, London Olympics open, opening and closing ceremonies? But I think it'd be fascinating to see if there are two more matches for England to contest in the next week. If those if those numbers are challenged, because for me, uh, and I think it particularly has to do with the 18 months that we've all endured and, and are still enduring. You know, this, this pandemic hasn't gone away despite Boris's determination to just pretend it's not happening anymore on July the 19th. Um, but it, 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 it's, you know, I just think it's going to, however excited we think we've been in the last three weeks, I think it's going to be liftoff from tomorrow and, and, and obviously determined by the result tomorrow, tomorrow night. But it's, it's um, yeah, I, I, I put it this way. If England go past Denmark, it'll be like nothing we've ever experienced here. I tend to agree with you, Matt. And Gregor, it's not too late to book those train tickets up to Glasgow or Edinburgh if you fancy a long <laughs> uh, weekend back in Scotland. I'm sure they'll barely mention it, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, <laughs> let's, Gregor, discuss the match itself. I'm not going to talk about all the great stuff that England might go through in the coming days. Of course, you've now got an English child who I'm sure will be watching keenly. Um, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> let's talk about the system because it's still being debated. I'm sure Matt and Henry will have some inside knowledge on it but just in terms of the two sides Denmark of course play with wing backs if you were Gareth Southgate would you go into this uh, sticking with the back four would you go back to the back three and wing backs I'd stick with the back four you know it, it was kind of hailed as a masterstroke against Germany to match them up but I think England could have beaten Germany with a with a back four playing the system that gets an extra attacker on the pitch I think they could have done it that way as well yeah I think that I think that's that's the system that suits England best they've got a solid foundation as you say, you've not got, you know, the most creative midfielders in the world in terms of Rice and, and uh, Phillips sitting in front of of the back four there. But you've got four like thrillingly talented players in front of them um, who can win the game. Uh, so if you've got, you know, if you're if you're keeping clean sheets and you've got four attackers on the pitch who are really kind of world class footballers, then England have got a great chance of winning a tournament. And look, I, I know I, I can't commit the what this would mean from the same quite the same perspective as you guys. But the one thing I would say is this England team is so much more easy to like than any other England team I've ever seen or you know witnessed. There's no egos. There's no uh, you know you always get lumbered with the arrogance title. But there's not. I don't think the England England players were arrogant. It was just a kind of huge weight of expectation, and I think they are, they they do seem to be pretty much unburdened from that. And there's more tactically sophisticated teams, but they kind of, they're all, they all seem really engaged. They want to be there. You know, that was a kind of, there were kind of question mark about that. As we see that when the, the big players, you know, the, some of the England's golden generation retire, you gradually see coming out that really they didn't enjoy joining up with England and playing together as much as they would have said at the time. I don't think you're getting any kind of sense of that at all from this group. This is different. There's something different about them. And there's also Gareth Southgate. He's, he's a likable England manager. So I, you know, I, as I say, I can't come at it from the same perspective, but I know it would be very good for this country and it would be 
it would be something I would be happy to see. Gregor, thank you. If, if Scotland had reached this point in the competition, we too would have said exactly the same. <laughs> Easy um, to say that for you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Henry, do you have an inside scoop? Uh, just going back to the system, what do you think it will be? You know what? It's, it's one of those ones. If it's a back four, as expected, Walker Stones, Maguire, Shaw, and Saka is wide rights. Saka, because of his versatility and because he's played uh, wing back for, uh, for, for, for Southgate, he can easily slot over that side and Walker sort of tucks in as a third centre-back. And particularly if uh, Joachim Meller is is raiding down the flank, then, then I know he can play either flank, but, you know, it, Saka can deal with that. And I like the fact that he's got, he's looking like he's going with a Saka, even though Kieran Trippier is like his special ops man who, who could go do a job on him like he did with Goosens uh, in, in the Germany game. But... I like the way there's a consistency there. I mean, he could have brought Henderson back in, but I think Rice and Phillips, I mean, Gregor was saying they're not particularly creative, but, you know, some of Phillips's passings has yep. been superb. You know, Rice almost scored in the last game. Obviously, they've got Mount ahead of them. I mean, it's one of those ones where you want to call it, you know, 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 with sort of Mount um, off the uh, you know, off, off Kane with Sterling and, and Saka either way, either side. But I just think there's a solidity there. They've not conceded a goal. Pickford... I mean, you know, there have been some, some snooty comments from uh, from overseas journalists about Jordan Pickford, actually from some English journalists as well. Pickford's changed. I mean, you've really got to... The, the problem with tournaments is that people take a snapshot of teams because everyone's sort of looking at all the different teams. If you look at Jordan Pickford, okay, he came out and he had his sort of wild slice of the ball against Ukraine in Rome, but actually he's been... He's, different from before he's matured his decision making is actually it has definitely improved he's not so rash he's far more calm i mean he and stones have the occasional bicker but it's normally about distribution it's about whether what time they you know when they should go long or when they should build from the back which obviously stones as a, a pep kid you know wants to do so i just think I mean, it's, it's interesting listening to Gregor and you say, and, you know, she, you said to him, he said, you know, well, so come in slightly later on this conversation on England. But actually what I find fascinating is hearing people like Gregor's views, uh, you know, detached because look, I'm close up. I've been going to St. George's Park every day when we're allowed in, getting tested and then talking to the players. But actually listening to what Gregor said, which is a key element about the likable. You know, Southgate, who's such a likable person, he has made this England team likable. There's no arrogance there. There's no ego. The uh, I mean, I mean, Matt's far more in tune with many other sports, but this the All Blacks, the, the rugby boys, they've they've got a phrase which is I can't sort of say it on a polite podcast before the nine o'clock watershed, but basically, uh, I'm sure you can sort of buzz this out. But no dickheads, and there aren't any in the England squad. There are, I mean, there have been in recent years. I mean, I could list you, a, a, you know, a short list of them. They're all, they're all good characters. And you look at them and you look at the journeys that they've been on. Carl Walker from an unbelievably rough housing estate. When he was a kid, age eight, one of the, uh, the housing blocks where he lived, uh, one of the top floors was set on fire. And he stood there as the caretaker, caught kids being thrown from the, from like the sort of seventh or eighth floor. You know, these kids have seen things that are way beyond my experience, way beyond anyone else's experience. And you, you just look at them. I mean, Calvin Phillips. You know, he goes into training at Leeds United every day with his father in prison over the road. 
You know, Raheem Sterling, we knew what happened to to his father when he was sort of, you know, he was shot going up and Raheem has the the gun to two on his leg. You know, these are a a remarkable bunch of individuals who've got to the top in their profession at a very young age through resilience, through character, through finding good people around them in a world that, look, Matt knows because he writes brilliantly about the many agents and the charlatans that can float around football. And, you know, these are tough kids who've got to the top in their early 20s. So I have huge admiration for them as footballers. But coming back to Gregor's very prescient point, I've got huge admiration for them as people as well. And that is why I would really like this generation to nail a trophy. I think we all would, to be perfectly honest. I mean... And we spoke earlier on um, recording one of the earlier podcasts and I know that I mentioned the sort of togetherness that I felt, the spirit that I felt England lacked in previous years. And I know you said that was an interesting point, but we never actually said it on the podcast. And um, I was thinking about it the other day, you know, this England team just, they're almost public, so public about the fact that they're normal human beings and that they understand, you know, the, the the other people of the country, you know, it's they're, they're almost better at communicating with us than the politicians are. You know, I saw Marcus Rashford's tweet about the young uh, British player that was, yeah. uh, you know, had to pull yeah. out of her match at, at Wimbledon, for example. You know, taking the time, you know, a, a day before a massive game, probably the biggest game of your life, you know, just to send that sort of message of togetherness, you know, underlined what a good human being is. We know that already. But of course, you know, Billingham did the same. Yeah, it's just a constant reminder that he's a good, you know, it's a good group of guys. And, you know, it might say something about the previous players that we had, but, you know, there is just, at the moment, I think a need for an England team like this because of what we've had over the last five years in the country. You know, this, you know, divisive element, you know, that has been there in many different regards on many different topics. And in fact, the news this week, you'll you'll see another, you know, line drawn between certain people and others that maybe we don't need. But ultimately, this football team is something that I think everyone at the moment is getting behind and they've understood that responsibility. It doesn't necessarily win you football matches, though. And, you know, ultimately, that is what it will boil down to tomorrow. You know, it's great to have a team um, that we can all love in terms of their personalities and stuff. But we love winning. We want to win something as well, don't we? It's a generational thing, I think, that the perception of the England team, certainly from the outside. Um, uh, you know, my wife is Irish and, and she she's not terribly fond of, of the England team. But I think it is, it, you know, because I, I look back and, and Henry you might disagree with me here, but I, I hope he agrees. I think if you went back sort of to 96 and before that, I don't think the England team were as unpopular then. I don't think they had that. They, 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 you know, I don't think there were the um, the characters that would have particularly offended people outside of England. You know, you look at that England team. Okay, they did have a, a midfielder who insisted on being called the governor, Paul Lynch. But but generally, you know, that they were, you know, Shearer, Sheringham, um, young Gary Neville. I, I don't think anyone objected to those sort of individuals. David Seaman. I, I certainly think people like Terry Venables, Bobby Robson were popular figures. But there is no doubt it lost its way. Um, at the turn of the century, Ericsson indulged people. You know, we, it, 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 the whole thing went bonkers. I think it coincided with the sort of explosion in it, with, with money in the game, but 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 also the internet and 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 the way that footballers started to become celebrities, and and it was all mad. I, I remember being in Bratislava and and the England press conference 
wasn't about the game. It was about Sven Joran Eriksson and, and, and an alleged affair with Ulrika Johnson. Like, the whole thing was totally potty. I locked the door. Do you, I, I remember that press conference, Matt. I locked the door yeah. because I didn't want television to come in because I knew <laughs> that they would eavesdrop on what, well, what we... And I, I, was looking, I was thinking to myself, why am I locking this door to this hotel room? Well, shouldn't we be talking about sort of 442 or whatever? But actually, we yeah. were talking about... I think was, she had a new book out, didn't we? And yeah, then I yeah. think one of the headlines was uh, she dropped a, a bombshell and then everyone made it was a, a blonde bombshell. It was a, it was yeah. a different world then. Henry, I always, remember, I always remember you, I think it was that press conference when you basically said after we'd had about 20 questions about Ulrika and you said, should we get the ball out? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Half the midfield was injured, but who cares? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but it, 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 it was crazy. And, and you had, you had the, uh, I can't remember what the party was called, but the, the Beckhams hosted a party before, I think the 2002 World Cup, was it the Diamonds and something party? Of, of which, you know, Ericsson was a guest. Now, that was how mad it became, that Ericsson, the England manager, was a guest at the home of the Beckhams before a major tournament. So, look, I think one of uh, the relevance to this is one of Gareth's great achievements has been to bring all that back down to earth, you know, because I think he would have hated it as a player when, when he was playing for England. It, it, it was the antithesis of what he was as a player. He got a taste of it towards the end of his career. He saw the way England were evolving by the time he went to the World Cup in 2002 and sat there with Martin Keown not getting a kick for the entire tournament. But he saw what was happening. He was in South Africa when, when Mandela wanted to meet Beckham and all that kind of stuff. And... I think when he when he when he got the job as England manager, he thought, right, it's not going to be like that when I'm in charge. We, we, we are not going to be that kind of England squad where the egos are too great, people aren't talking to each other, they won't sit and eat together. And and I think a consequence of that is that you have somebody like Gregor, you know, from Scotland, saying, you know what, they're quite a likable bunch this lot, and I think that's a measure of Southgate's achievement. Do you know what, Matthew, Greg, if I can just ju- jump in. Sorry, Greg, just, uh, I know you've got a child who will be, who's being brought up the English way, and I think that's fantastic. But, <laughs> but one of the other things your, 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 your child should know, and I'm quite happy to, uh, to sort of put this down in print and, and send it to you. But the, uh, you know, I, I was out in uh, Rome and, uh, you know, Everyone said, "Oh, you know that all these, uh, all the England fans, the five thousand England fans, they're from, you know, they're, they're studying in Italy, or they come up from the the Costa del Sol, they come over from Poland." I can absolutely promise you, there were England fans who will be there tonight who actually made their way out there because they didn't want to miss a match. And with respect to uh, government guidelines, I don't think they were particularly worried about that because it was all about being with England. But anyway, I was talking to one of them, and um, and he said. Please don't sort of mention that I'm out here because uh, he's quite a well-known England fan. And he said what he made a very interesting point because he he's been following England a long time, home and away for many years. And he said, you know, one of the main things that strikes me, which is so good about the England team, so I can't name any of the wags. You know, the wives and girlfriends. And I, I mean, maybe that's because the media has matured and we're not focusing on it so much. But actually, all the caravan, as, as Matt completely rightly says, that went with England, all the circus, 
of, you know, 2006 was absolutely crazy. And England had a technically probably better individual squad then that, than they do now. But it was all that distractions were absolutely huge. And there's none of that now. Southgate's got rid of the circus. Ready for the game, of course. And all the notes that I've had written down about the match are now out the window. Only really time <laughs> left to ask you how you well, think the match it's about, will, it's will about, go. It's about bigger things. Yeah, it's about, it's, it's, there is something about this, isn't there? It does feel like it's it, it could be an enormous moment for for the country. I just think he's like, how's the game going to go? I mean, look, the, the, we have to say all this, it's been said before, but Denmark have an equally impressive kind of emotionally intelligent manager uh, in Casper Hulmund in their dugout, who is kind of, you know, he's tread that that fine line after the, you know, after the Christian Eriksen incident with kind of harnessing that and um, showing a sort of sensitivity. So they are, they are fueled by that. I, you know, some people might question that, but I think they're definitely still fueled by that. And, Behind all of that, they're a really solid, organised team, so it's not going to be easy. They're not going to be easy to break down. And as I said in a recent podcast, they're really smart in the way that they break up the game into phases and they they very often will fly out the blocks and take a lead, take an early lead. So uh, England will need to be on their toes and be aware, aware of that. And I still think England have to be favourites. If England, England perform... If they're as clinical as they were against Ukraine, no problem. It just has the air of almost overconfidence, the way that some people are talking about, you know, England's chances in this game. You know, it would be a huge disappointment if they didn't make the final, I think. Henry, I'll I'll start with you on this one. It would be a huge disappointment. But do they have to be a little bit careful that they don't run away with things here and, and, you know, don't become complacent for the game? There's absolutely no complacency there. Steve Holland wouldn't allow that. Gareth Southgate wouldn't allow that. The tribal elders, as Southgate calls them, the Harry Kane, Jordan Henderson, Kieran Trippier, the, the boys who went through the, uh, you know, that brutal experience against uh, Croatia in 2018, they know what it's like to get close. They don't want to let that slip now. There's absolutely, you know, I think the complacency, and I know foreign journalists and, sort of, you know, people sort of throw it against the English and it's because it's the old football's coming home because I almost feel like putting a statement out sort of six hours before every England game explaining that football's coming home is as much a lament as a statement of arrogance. There's no arrogance really. And it is actually a, a statement of reality that England have been in this situation and have made mistakes and you know have been ambushed by their own incompetence or by others' superiority. But actually, and the great thing about it, because this is the country that invented the game, this is the country that codified the game, this is probably the most obsessed football country in the world, along with possibly Brazil and one or two others, that if you look at our pyramid system, you get huge attendances way down the pyramid, far more than any other country. So there is that huge passion for the game. I mean, the guys were talking earlier. I mean, I had mates, England um, Travel Supporters Club, who were trying to go on when UEFA sent out, had that five-minute window at two o'clock this afternoon. It's just like the economy stopped and everyone tried to get tickets. The tickets are going crazy all over the country. I've also got one or two friends from my Scottish education days who have uh, admitted that the majority of golf courses in Scotland are booked up um, from tomorrow afternoon onwards. 
And I just think that's great, but that's but that's the way it should be. But what it's come down to is that this country, Scotland's obsessed with a national team, and rightly so, because you've got some fantastic players, as we've seen, but also that England have already won because what Southgate has done, even if they go out tonight against Denmark, the team are developing. They're much more likable. We have, you know, it was four years ago, less than four years ago, that actually the fans were almost rioting against the team, turning their back on the team in Malta, throwing paper darts. It was less than four years ago. They were playing, throwing paper darts at the, the team and just sort of whistling to see if they could get one onto the pitch or hit a player. That's almost contempt for the shirt for the national team has gone. Southgate's erased that. So England are winning. There's absolutely no arrogance. I've talked to a few of the players this week. There's, you know, they've got huge respect because coming back to Southgate's thing, there are no dickheads in this squad. They are just focused on doing what they can, respecting Denmark. I mean, Harry Kane today, I mean, there's obviously that extra emotional element because of his friendship with uh, Christian Eriksen and obviously his connection with Hoiberg as well. You know, so many of these players, Kasper Schmeichel is one of the most impressive men you can meet in football. We saw Simon Kerr's leadership uh, when, you know, the way he consoled Christian Eriksen's partner, the way the Danish players went, you know, sort of protected them from the cameras and from the outside eye and, and shielded, you know, their stricken teammate. They're really impressive people. And every English player for the, for the last few days, ever since it's been established that England would have played Denmark, you know, they have been full of respect. There's no arrogance to this team. There's no complacency. But the most important thing, which I've not seen for a while with England, there's no fear either. Matt, what do you think will happen tomorrow at Wembley or today at Wembley, depending on when you're listening? I'm cautiously optimistic, Hugh. I, I, I do feel like... It's Southgate's moment. I do feel like they've been building to this since Russia. You know, it still looked like there was a lot of work to do when we went to Portugal uh, for the Nations League. Almost looked like a slight step back there. But, you know, the way that he's brought these young players in, the way that the squad has evolved since Russia, the, the way that the team has improved. Henry touched on it just then. The sort of players that were were relative tournament novices in Russia, you know, the Pickfords, the 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 Trippiers, the the Maguires, they're now experienced senior heads. And I just think they're ready. And for that reason, I think it's going to be a tight game. So I think Denmark are really good, but I, I think England are going to nudge it and I'm going to suggest it's going to be two one England. I like that. A prediction without even being pressured into it usually yeah, have to I just I just settled on it on I, I, I was thinking about it earlier and I just think I think that, that, that they're gonna they're gonna have to concede a goal at some point uh and I think it will come tomorrow night but um but I think England will do enough Gregor I think 2-0 comfortable I don't think it'll be comfortable I think it may be kind of uh they'll take the lead and then you know get a second late on when Denmark are coming at them I think England. I think England will win and they'll be deserving winners. I think it's, it's definitely going to be a tough game because Denmark have they've been just very, very organised. They know their they know their their shape and their system and the way they play very, very well. And they've done it. They've, they've performed very well in that that way. But I think England will have too much for them. I do think England are going to win. Just a comfortable win as well, or a tough no, night at the office. No, no, it's it, comfortable. You know, 
no, it will not be comfortable. It will be tough because Denmark are absolutely deserve respect. I think England will edge it in extra time. Well, we've got a big evening to look forward to. England against Denmark at Wembley for a place in the final of Euro 2020. Gregor Robertson, Matt Lawton, Henry Winter, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Game Podcast. And fingers crossed we are here again in 24 hours discussing an England win. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, then please do leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times for more of our great content during Euro 2020. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to begin your free trial. We will see you tomorrow. 